Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler and today I have the pleasure of talking to Dr Garish Kanji about exercising for the treatment of depression. Dr Garish Kanji is a musculoskeletal pain expert based in Auckland, New Zealand. For the last three years he's been researching and writing a book on the biology and solutions for insomnia, anxiety and depression. Welcome, Gurish. Thank you, Louise. Today we're going to start with a case. A 42-year-old advertising account manager and mother of one comes to see you. She is distressed and is going through an employment dispute with her work. She works 14 hours a day, 6 to 7 days a week. She isn't sleeping well. She drinks a bottle of red wine each night and is experiencing a depressed mood and is anxious. You discuss the options with her one of which is incorporating some daily exercise, ideally at least 30 minutes of moderate, vigorous exercise a day. She asks if it will work. Is exercise enough? So Garish, why would we encourage people to exercise for depression? Louise, exercise for depression is an excellent choice. Firstly, people have preferences. Some people like to take tablets and some people prefer to use natural options. So we must respect the patient uh, and give them all the options so they can do something that will help them. For GPs, it's another tool in the toolbox that we can explain to patients that this will help your depression. Thirdly, exercise has been proven to be as effective as our standard treatments for depression, including cognitive behavioral therapy as well as antidepressants. So there's several reasons why exercise is a really good option for depressed people. Is there a physiological explanation for why exercise works in depression? Yes, there is. For the past three and a half years, I've been researching a book on insomnia, anxiety, depression, looking at all the randomized control trials and studies. And what I've found is that several studies show people with depression have a raised sympathetic nervous system activity. Now, for the rest of the podcast, I'll refer to the sympathetic nervous system and the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis as the stress nervous system. So what we find is the stress nervous system is more active in people with depression than people without depression. Furthermore, when we study people with depression who get better, we find that their activity of their stress nervous system reduces. Now, another body of studies altogether tells us that exercise reduces the activity of the stress nervous system. And it follows that there's even more studies that show exercise is an excellent treatment for depression. It's not just a good idea, but in fact, there's a strong physiological basis that it reduces our stress chemicals in our brains and body. So thinking about exercise, what is the best dose of exercise? What should we be telling our patients? We should be telling our patients that 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise, and the studies show around 50% maximum heart rate, is what's required. So when I talk to my patients, I tell them that we need to do about 30 minutes, a minimum of four times a week, and preferably five times, to where they're feeling a bit breathless, to where they feel their heart racing a little, and where they sweat a little bit. And this really means more than walking, unless you're walking very, very fast and up hills. 
So I tend to steer my patients towards activities like cycling, swimming, jogging, uh, and, and anything that raises their heart rate. So weight training then, is there a role for weight training as well as the aerobic exercise? Absolutely, Louise. There have been multiple studies looking at the effects of weight training for depression, and studies have found 45 minutes three or four times a week for eight to 12 weeks has an equally good response in depressed people. There's also been studies which have, in fact, compared jogging and running with weights programs four times a week for eight weeks, and both have shown equally impressive results. So you've talked about how frequently we should exercise and for how long. Can we do big chunks of exercise twice a week, or is it the... It's probably more the intensity of exercise and the frequency. I I prefer to uh, advise people that it's probably better to exercise regularly. Now, coming back to the physiology, what I would say is that people who develop depression are likely to have a wound up stress nervous system. It's tightly wound. Mm. So imagine a tightly wound spring. And if we exercise once a week, we may unwind the spring a little bit, but the weak stresses will wind it up again. Hence, if we exercise three or four times a week, it'll unwind slowly and soon unwind totally over about 12 weeks. So I do prefer the regular exercise. And the studies show the more rigorous the exercise, the more effective. And so one study compared 75 minutes a week of intense exercise to 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise. So and even the weightlifting studies, there's a study where they compared low intensity weightlifting to high intensity weightlifting. And in all the studies, the high intensity weightlifting had greater responses. Great. Thanks for clarifying that. So you've, you've talked a little bit about walking, but often it's accessible for most people and they enjoy it. If they are walking, will it help their depression? There's a couple of things to consider here. So if I'm sitting in the practice and someone comes in and they say they're feeling down, having trouble functioning, feeling a little depressed, then then they tell me, oh yes, doctor, I keep fit and I walk three or four times a week. Then clearly what they're doing is not working. So in that situation, I would definitely start quoting the studies that the more intense the exercise, the better the results. And then I'd definitely counsel them towards something for 30 minutes, four times a week, that raises their heart rate and makes them sweat. The second thing is, if you're doing no exercise whatsoever, and you're very sedentary, then walking may be a reasonable start to as a platform to something more. And in that situation, it may help you a little bit. But the studies that have been done for walking uh, for depression don't show a marked effect, in fact. Certainly not as much as the intense exercise. So what are the barriers to implementing the exercise regime? So let's look at our case that we have in front of us. And this is uh, a real problem. And it's no good as a doctor just to say to someone, hey, look, I think you should exercise. I think it's worth exploring some of the barriers and how we overcome them. So this 42-year-old advertising account manager, who's a mother of one, 
you know, you can see she works 14 hours a day, six, seven days a week. She basically probably also runs the household. Uh, and really, it's going to be hard to say to her, hey, look, I want you to go to the gym three or four times a week. It would be virtually impossible. And quite often you need a range of options. And so for this type of patient uh, with this amount of uh, responsibilities, often I'll say to people, you know, probably the, the only way this is going to happen is if we get an exercise machine at home and perhaps a exercycle, a cross trainer, a treadmill, and sometimes even putting it on, uh, in front of the television and basically going for it before or after work. That's probably the only way in which you can affect exercise for this person. Even then, it's going to be difficult. Mm. But I think advising her to join a gym or something like that is going to be virtually impossible. Other patients have barriers, physical barriers, in terms of their joints. And many of my patients have hip problems or knee problems. And therefore, you may want them to go to the swimming pool. And often swimming may be an option. And some people, I just get to walk up and down the swimming pool with water to waist height. And that's an excellent option. Uh, Much, much better than walking outside because you've got resistance, you raise your heart rate, and you're weightless. So that's an extremely good option to minimise any joint effects that people have. While we're on the case again, um, let's talk about the red wine that she was drinking. Is this helpful for her? The research shows that if we drink one to two glasses of wine, about 150 mils a glass, we feel relaxed, as we've all experienced, or many of us have. However, once we increase our intake to two, three, four glasses of wine, what it actually does is increase the activity of our stress nervous system. And in fact, this is one of the reasons it leads to a hangover, is that it increases the electricity in our brains. So it's probably going to disturb your sleep, having a bottle of wine before you go to sleep, worsen your mood and anxiety. So it's actually the wrong thing to do. And I don't think many patients will understand this. And some counselling would be beneficial from GPs um, to advise them that this raises the activity of the stress nervous system and will make most of these problems get worse. So now talking about the insomnia that she had, is there any evidence for exercise with insomnia and anxiety? Yes. The, when we look at insomnia, anxiety, depression, uh, after doing the research for the book, I consider these as on a continuum, symptoms on a continuum. And usually first someone will develop insomnia, anxiety, and often depression comes slightly later Um, with more prolonged stress chemical activation. And that's why we find that the three symptoms occur almost invariably in people. So with people who have depression, at least 60% have insomnia. But the figure that doesn't sleep well would probably be more like 100%, unless they're taking a tablet. And I think the same thing for anxiety and panic attacks, very, very prevalent in people who have depression. So... The studies actually show that exercise has good benefits for both insomnia and anxiety. In fact, the studies, one of the studies in particular, shows that sleep improved by over an hour a night. 
and time to get to sleep reduced from an hour to 26 minutes. Now when we put this into perspective, and participants went on a treadmill three times a week for 50 minutes for six months. Sleep time, total sleep time increased by 1.4 hours in the study. Uh, and their time to get to sleep reduced from one hour to 26 minutes on average. So this is an excellent result. Now when we compare this result to some of the more commonly prescribed um, treatments, in a review article, sleeping tablets reduced the time to get to sleep by 15 minutes and improved total sleep time by 41 minutes. And remembering with sleeping tablets, we are going to get addiction intolerance. So this is early on, and I suspect in six months uh, we're not going to get this effect. Cognitive behavioral therapy reduced the time to get to sleep by 17 minutes and increased total sleep time by 20 minutes. So as we can see from some of these results, exercise is an excellent therapy to improve insomnia. In terms of anxiety, there certainly have been studies, but the studies are in their infancy compared to depression, where there's a lot more literature. And I think we need to, going forward, we need to look at studies that have that dose of three or four times a week for eight weeks minimum so that the studies will reduce sympathetic nervous system tone activity and basically uh, quite often we have studies that are sort of four weeks, six weeks, two weeks, etc. And just finally now Grish, how does exercise compare to antidepressant drugs? Exercise compares very favourably to antidepressants and there have been a couple of head-to-head -head trials for antidepressants versus exercise. And the interesting results are that in one study at around four months, 60 to 65% of both groups were no longer depressed. But at 10 months, in the exercise group, 70% of people were not depressed. Whereas in the antidepressant group, only 48% of the group were no longer depressed. So the antidepressant had a larger effect at four months and that reduced at 10 months. Whereas exercise had a similar effect at four months, which increased at 10 months. So it seems in the long term, exercise will actually help you more than antidepressants. Now I've thought about the reasons for this and the literature clearly shows that antidepressants wind up our stressed nervous system when taken for a period of time. And this probably accounts for the long-term results of antidepressants not being as good as the short-term results. And the other thing here is that once someone's made a commitment um, to create an exercise habit, they can basically keep going for life and it will certainly reduce recurrences of depression for life and also at the same time help their insomnia and anxiety. And general well-being, I would and think. general well-being. Mm. So, Garish, just to conclude our podcast today, what would your top take-home messages be for our listeners? Well, the top take-home messages are that, firstly, exercise is a proven treatment for depression. It's not just a good idea. It actually has randomised control trials, multiple trials, including a Cochrane review that states that exercise is helpful for depression. 
And I think this is the key shift that I'd like to instigate amongst uh, doctors in New Zealand that it's not just a good idea, but it's actually a proven treatment as good as any other treatment we have. Secondly, exercise is also going to help the symptoms that are commonly associated with depression, including insomnia and anxiety. Thirdly, I'd like to say that the minimum dose is 30 minutes of moderate exercise at least four times a week. And to feel better, it would take eight to 12 weeks. So I certainly wouldn't stop before that period of time. And it's a good idea for doctors to tell their patients, hey, look, you need to do this for two or three months and you should feel better. And then obviously, hopefully once they feel better, they'll do it for the rest of their lives as a lifelong habit. Thank you, Grish. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you, Louise. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim some CPD points for listening to this podcast, please fill in a reflection of learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening.